0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Ringside Studios' Gub Neal and Patrick Irwin, ACF Investment Bank's Thomas Day, Helium Partners' Tom Mannering and Bad Wolf's Jane Tranter about the value of UK programming on the global stage and whether Brexit has changed this in any way. With international buyers' attentions focused on the UK over the past few weeks with the BBC Studios' showcase and London screenings, C21's been speaking to some of those at the forefront of the business about the present value of the nation's programming on the global stage, the status of its talent and production acumen, and whether these have changed in any way as a result of Brexit. I canvassed the views of Ringside Studios creative director Gub Neal and executive producer Patrick Irwin. ACF Investment Bank Chief Executive and President Thomas Day, Helium Partners Tom Mannering, and Bad Wolf co-founder Jane Tranter. The execs also considered the impact on UK broadcasters of the growing influence of US streamers and how this shift in the traditional commissioning power base is affecting M and A in the independent production sector. First up, Gub Neal.
1: Viewership is through the roof. (laughs) Subscriptions are through the roof. The demand for content globally. It has probably never been higher. And uh, wherever you are in the world, you are at, you know, for better or worse, and there may be some terrible sort of colonial history behind all this, but for better or worse, English is a dominant language and we are English producers. And I think that, you know, we've got a terrific track record in this industry and this business. And we, we have the advantage of, of just at this moment
0: in time and at this moment in history being in the right place for the right language. Here's Thomas Day from ACF Investment Bank.
2: What we've seen categorically during the last two, three years, I think driven by the s landscape, is a continued acceleration of value of scripted UK entities. Um, they've got all the characteristics that people are looking for. In the US, you know, the, the US uh, consumers love The crown. I mean, I think um, at the Golden Globes, I think it picked up four awards. Um, You know, I think that that there is an inbuilt um, uh, enjoyment of UK content in the US markets that is very evident. And I think it's also just considered a creative hub that is really excellent. And then when you build into that, the IP ownership, those two factors mean that UK scripted entities are just commanding very high multiples. And that continued right through the pandemic. And I think it's accepting the fact that the SWOD landscape is gonna continue to demand that type of content. The one thing that is unusual that we haven't seen before is it isn't just the scripted world, it's also the premium unscripted world. We did a deal at the close of 2019 with Plimsoil Productions, uh, Grant Mansfield's business, Um, we had a very active sales process. The, the, The thing that was very different about that sales process is we had a significant number of financial buyers who were in that process, which we haven't seen for a decade. And they ended up outbidding strategic partners who were putting very full prices forward. So what that told me is that scripted and unscripted premium is where the value lies. And that's where we're seeing the very big multiples.
0: Where you're sitting from, from LA, you know, what, what's the perceived status of UK talent, programming and, and production acumen at the moment?
2: I mean, it's interesting because there's always been a value or an additional incremental value attached to UK content. And I don't know if it's our psyche, I don't know if it's our history, or if it's the sort of creative uh, sort of angst that exists. but there's always been a premium attached to UK productions. I mean, the US producers, I think, really from 2010 onwards, were really producing very, even earlier than that, if you think about The Wire and other shows like that, became much more complex and deep and dark. So I think there is a very strong um, equivalent in the US, but I do believe there's an absolute uh, tender loving space for UK creators that exists in the US market. Um, and as I said earlier, I think that the point on intellectual property and owning the rights is something that just adds a premium. But definitely right now, the number one spot on the globe is UK scripted assets, or UK high-end unscripted premium content assets. Here's Tom Mannering from Helium Partners.
3: What we have seen in 2020 is the rise of, of, of someone like Netflix. Netflix were regarded as as one of, in terms of pure uh, production spend, one of the smaller players, certainly up to a couple of years ago and, and focusing on a few high-end shows, I think what you've seen in the last 12 months is that they've gone from being smaller than, than Channel 4 in terms of spend and, and Sky, they tend to about half a, half a billion a year of spend, uh, to now being, you know, rivaling, you know, some of the bigger linear broadcasters in the UK, so Netflix have reported they, they've spent around 750 million uh, in 2020, up from 500 million a year before. And when you think that ITV spends about a billion and and, um, BBC about 1.6 billion, uh, you know, Sky, they're they're now, Netflix are now in that position where they're one of the biggest commissioners in the UK. And if you think that ITV spend a significant portion of their budget in-house, you could make the argument, certainly that Netflix is now probably the second biggest commissioner of indie content in the UK, uh, which I think is quite a big move. And, And even if you look at their own financials, you know, they generated $2 billion dollars of free cash flow in, the, in, in 2020. That is a significant amount of money to reinvest in content. Um, yeah, and they generated nearly five billion of EBITDA. So they're, they're now that player that, that isn't a lost leader anymore. They have significant, have significant money and resources to continue to grow. Um, so I think that is that is something that has been quite material in the last 12 months and was accelerated by the, by the pandemic.
0: Gab Neil again.
1: When I think about the industry that I was looking at from Channel 4 20, 25 years ago as a commissioner, where you had very small number of drama companies fundamentally just feeding off very stable markets, <laughs> which is essentially BBC or Sky or ITV, and the industry that we now have in terms of scripted, and, and, and the scale and the complexity of its range, I think the, the British industry as a whole, the English industry, has really grown up. Phenomenally over the last twenty years, and uh, you know, there's a lot of blue sky ahead now because I think, unlike—and this isn't the case across Europe—but un- unlike a lot of other territories, the UK now is in an immensely strong position to to not only produce, as it were, in, into that US market, but also to look at the world broadly and say. We work in English language. That is a premium. <laughs> um, you know that puts us at a significant advantage. But we also have a, an amazing industry. You know, in terms of our crews, our DOPs, the 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 amount that it that we've been able to learn from from servicing these huge commissions that have come in these these multi million pound shows, Game of Thrones, The Crown. You know. It's been a, an enormous learning curve, and I think it's it's put the industry as a at a whole in
4: a very
0: good place.
4: Patrick Irwin. Obviously, the effect of the tax credit for higher end television has been transformative in the UK. But but we don't want to get to a stage where we're just subsidising American production, which is coming over here, and a bit like when Sky got into football, driving all the prices up to you know an unsustainable level uh which doesn't really benefit the grassroots uh, if you like carry that analogy on and um you know there, there will come a point i think where we have to look at who who the tax credit is is benefiting and maybe enhancements to it or, or um in canada for example they introduced an enhancement for cgi in canada because that was an industry that they wanted to promote i mean there may be elements that the or price brackets within the tv drama world that, that we want to incentivize further to make sure that we're bringing on enough talent and we're not just inflating the prices of the same talent that, that was there before at the expense of the taxpayer effectively.
0: Here's Tom Mannering again.
4: One of the uh,
0: the great things about, about the UK is the fact that the producers hold on to the rights to their own programmes and that is what gives them a large part of their value around the world, so um, Netflix doesn't tend
3: to do those kinds of commissions. It tends to take all rights. How does that affect
2: the valuations of UK?
3: It's true that they that producers don't tend to tend tend to retain rights with Netflix. I mean, that said, you know, Netflix's deal tends to be obviously they'll they'll pay a, a production fee. They'll typically pay a premium to buy out rights, and depending on the scenario, that there can be other bonuses or, or recommissioning incentives around the deal. So. It, from a pure financial perspective, if you have a hit show on Netflix, you know, you the producers are very well rewarded and possibly more, better rewarded and and sort of on a more timely basis than if they had a show distributed where they retain rights. Um, and I think what we're seeing in the UK in terms of MA is that because the fastest growth part of the market is with the SVODs, those producers which have a relationship with the SVODs are are more in demand and are growing more quickly and therefore will carry a you know, a premium multiple from that perspective. That said, there is still a place for owning and retaining rights. And I think probably the ideal scenario is the mixed model of having, you know, relationships and commissions, both with, you know, Netflix and others, and with the UK linear channels like the BBC, because then you have the best of both worlds. You have a long tail of IP income, plus the immediate, you know, growth from, from Netflix and the premiums that they, they typically pay.
0: How are the broadcasters going to respond to all of this, or, or, or rather, what more can they do? We're already seeing, you know, increasing collaborations, um, pan-European organisations to co-produce or co-commission content, which you know puts them on a sort of scale that can rival Netflix and uh, and the other big players. Uh, is that the kind of way forward for for the broadcasters? More and more collaboration. Yeah, I
3: mean, certainly, you know. The BBC and others have have been, you know, doing co-productions with with you know companies like Netflix, where they'll they'll buy UK rights and they'll um, international rights be picked up by Netflix, and so that that is certainly one approach to to make the budget stretch and, and make sure that the BBC retains its um, with high quality content.
0: Here's Jane Tranter from Bad Wolf.
3: You're obviously a keen supporter of the BBC,
0: having worked there for many years as well. So, you know, what do you see as the future of public broadcasters in general as they find themselves increasingly priced out of the market effectively in some cases by the uh, the pure play streamers.
5: I think that um, I think that uh, public service broadcasting remains public service broadcasting, no matter how people are watching it. Um, I think that uh, just because the BBC's content goes out on iPlayer, which feels really like Netflix doesn't mean to say that it has to do. The same job as Netflix I think it's still really important that the BBC is there in order to provide something for everybody um, all of the year but not um, for everybody all at the same time I, it's still really important that the BBC supplies programming in areas that perhaps other broadcasters won't get to um, and I um, you know and I applaud uh, and admire the way the BBC does that. Um, I think there are now many other players, um, you know, co- content providers, um, for, for people to do drama. Um, and you know, it's great for producers like myself. It means that there's a choice. Um, I think the BBC is still capable of doing very nifty deals. Um, for example, you know, BBC working with HBO on His Dark Materials, um, and, are still managing to get some pieces of scale. Um, but, um, it might be increasingly moving forward that the BBC does bigger pieces less. Um, you know, it does a few big pieces, but not perhaps quite so many. Um, and that it puts, um, you know, it's, it's focus in, 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 in other areas of bringing on new talent, um, or, um, smaller pieces in a different way. But I don't think that the BBC is going to become any less relevant just because there are more people in the marketplace.
0: Gub Neil.
1: The success of the, of, the, of the big streamers in terms of the, of the domestic market here as well means that the, the BBC, to some extent, and certainly you know Channel 4, need to cleave ever closer to their um, acumen and their ability to dig deeper to find material that's potentially more adventurous or you know become more contentious. Um, you know, they, they, they need to be risk takers. They do need to continue to be risk takers. Their, their job in the market as public service broadcasters is to go into those spaces that the commercial market might hesitate or might have second thoughts about. And as long to just just to address your point, as long as they kind of keep unearthing that gold. They, you know, as long as they keep. When, when, years ago, when we made *Chorus Folk*, and now Russell's made this fantastic *It's a Sin*. As a, you know, twenty years later, a wonderful, wonderful show. But you know, I, I felt very confident at the time that we were making that show. The original *Chorus Folk* twenty years ago is this a show that no one else would would have would have touched, or no one else would have had an interest in. And that that capacity, I think, to to um, to to go in a direction where you are you def you are defining your use. <laughs> And your value in the market is remains incredibly important. And of course, it's easy to say be bold, you know, be adventurous. But actually, um, I, I can't speak so much for ITV and Sky because they're they're different models, they're the are commercial models in their own right. But I think particularly with the BBC and the Channel Four, what they have to remain distinctive and they have to remain very adventurous. And they have to, it's tough, I know, with the economics and everything, but they have to keep traveling in a direction that as i say some of the commercial uh, organisations would perhaps hesitate over as long as they do that i think they'll continue to cut through they'll they'll continue to win they do win i mean you know they 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 have a reasonable strike rate and i think as long as they keep that strike rate up they will justify their existence both to the to the public but also to the uh, to the governing authorities as well the scale of our talent and the capacity of our talent is in does have a direct relationship with the fact that we do have a a a healthy public broadcasting sector. We don't want to lose that. I think it would be an absolute tragedy if we did. Back to Jane Tranter.
0: What really is the status would you say of of UK television today on 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 the global scene and is it still as as powerful as it as it has been in recent years post Brexit? <sighs>
5: I'm, uh, um, um, you know, it just, it's, that's when, you know, it's at that point, it kind of like, I feel like a balloon that's being deflated, you know, that we're talking about kind of like, come on, we can do this. And, um, and, you know, we can do production in the UK and we've got the best actors and the best writers and the, um and the best directors. And we're incredibly creative and um, amazing production designers who turn our kind of like, you know, little island into all these other amazing things um and then we got bre- brexit and uh and frankly i just feel like we're a you know embarrassing laughing stock in front of the rest of the world um i don't know as yet what the implications of brexit are going to be in terms of our ability to go and film in some of the you know places that we used to go and film in i mean this is you know once we're all free to you know fly out of the uk um, I don't know what the implications of that will be, um, the kind of levels of red tape that it will be to, you know, qualify um, to, you know, film in certain areas. Um, I just think it's it's supremely unhelpful. And I think it's supremely unhelpful because I think most of the rest of the world think less of us as a result. Um, whereas previously, you know, I like to think that the UK was, you know, reasonably well thought of. But I think critically, it's not helpful because it's just more difficult for us to travel and film. Um, it's more difficult for us to take our creativity out of the UK and share it, look at everything that's going on with the musicians, not you know being able to tour in the same way. And that will be the same for the theatre companies and the ballet companies and whatever. Um, how television will fare, I don't know, but I cannot believe that it will be any better whatsoever. In a post-Brexit world, I, I think it will be significantly worse. Um, but you know, we'll wait and see.
0: Are you already, you know, is that already having an impact on co-production conversations?
5: Um, you know, we try not to let it. You know, you just think, all right, if 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 Berlin is the right place to shoot this project, let's just go forth and make that and make that work. But it's 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 it clearly you know you don't have to be um, you know you don't have to be a, a kind of you know a futurist or or you know rocket scientist or whatever to work out that it is more complicated to get a film crew from here to work anywhere in Europe now than it was. Obviously it is.
0: And also I guess um there was European Union funding, for example. I know contributed to a, a Welsh series uh, mm-hmm. hinterland mm-hmm. um and and that sort of um investment is now no longer available as well. Does that yeah. does that kind of have any any impact for, for the Welsh?
5: It will, it will. I mean, um, you know, Wales was um, you know, had access to a very large amount of money from an EU grant, which it no longer has access to. Um, you know, we're on our own now. Um, and it, it, obviously, it will make a difference over time.
0: Here's Tom Mannering from Helium Partners.
3: I don't think it will have a dramatic impact um, on the UK market, is, is my sense. Uh, obviously, English language programming, English language drama in particular, you know, sells extremely well around the world. Um, and I think, you know, the demand for that content will remain. I think the one area that some producers will, will need to be careful of is, is is the various tax credit regime in each of the, the various countries, particularly in Europe, uh, to make sure that they continue to meet the various required, you know, the requirements to um, to qualify for those tax credits. Um, generally speaking, most of them have sort of cultural tests, so that will probably require them to recruit and employ a certain amount of local staff on the productions to ensure they, you know, maintain those tax credits. But I think, Generally, that is often the case, anyway. So I think most of those, you know, issues will be able to be navigated quite, quite well. Um, but that's probably the one area, you know, it, it is around um, the tax credit regime, I would think.
0: The final word goes to Ringside Studios, Gub Neil. We we really have
1: to maintain this this free trade in in creative and intellectual ideas with Europe, and indeed practically in terms of production, it's very, very important to us. We are still part of Europe, whatever anyone who you know, election year for Brexit or campaign for Brexit says we're still very much part of it at a cultural level. And we have a lot to share and ultimately to promote. And part of what makes us unique and, and distinctive from American culture and and, a, and a, a American creativity is that we is that we are the UK but also we are European. Really the more we can build both in terms of co-production opportunities with our European partners but also Take that difference, that thing that does make us different from the, from say the American, you know, uh, uh, production and American IP, um, is to take that difference and actually make something out of it in in the broader market, you know, um, in a roundabout way uh, uh, of sort of answering your question as well. I think we 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 need to ensure that that, that those. Um, opportunities aren't shut down and it doesn't become constrictive what's happened in music is really worrying i mean you know the fact that it's now becoming almost impossible for musicians to work in europe and to travel uh, and, and tour we, we can't be in the same situation in terms of production and in terms of uh, scripted the scripted world i think it would be a complete tragedy yeah you know what we've seen in the banking World—it's a terrible analogy, but the sort of passporting and the possibility of sort of London losing its place as a stepping stone to Europe and vice versa—I think, I think in in the world of of, of, script, of drama and scripted drama, you know, for 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 those, whether it's Warner's or Disney or any any of those sort of megalithic uh, media structures, going into Europe and expanding their interests. Um, and, and expanding their borders as well in terms of what they produce the uk still remains a key stepping off point for them and it equally coming the other way it, it remains a key stepping off point for europe europe can trade within its own borders in terms of its material but it still needs to reach the international market to to, to verify and ultimately make the most out of its content and and we are, you know, we are the interlocutors, <laughs> whether we like it or not, with Brexit or without Brexit, we are still the interlocutors with the English-speaking world, and I think that means that, you know, it's the the UK is always get is always to some extent represent portal one one way or the other in terms of that industry moving backwards and forwards and. Uh, you know, we, we've already seen that with the with the expansion of, of the US interest into Europe, that they look to the to the UK. I think as a as a very
0: important resource. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C Twenty One Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.